Take your copy of God's Word, and I want you to open it with me this morning to the book of 2 Timothy, and we're going to look at two passages within that book, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and then we're going to move over to chapter 3 and look at verses 14 through 17. There are so many things for which I thank God, so many blessings He's placed in my life, and among them, I thank God for all the Mother's Day sermons I heard long before I ever met my wife. I praise God for all those Mother's Day sermons I heard when I was a youth, when I was a teenager, when I was single, because they taught me what I ought to be looking for in a wife. I tell you that lest some of you look at the title of this message and think, oh, I'm not a mother, or I'll never be a mother. This doesn't apply to me. Well, listen to me, single person. Listen to me, young man, young woman. Even you need to hear this. I want to talk to you today about the power of a mother's faith. Every year, salary.com, the website, publishes a report called the Mom Salary Survey. Interestingly, it's rather similar to the song you just heard the children sing. The Mom Salary Survey is an estimate of the value of the work that mothers do throughout the year. They take the number of hours the average mom works, and they divide it up by all the different responsibilities she has and then they look up the average salaries of persons working in all of those different fields. You know, a mom wears a lot of different hats. A typical mom must be chief financial officer, chief operating officer, housekeeper, laundry manager, facilities manager, event planner, staff nurse, nutrition director, conflict manager, just to name a few. Well, the 2022 report was released just a few days ago, and this year they took into account both inflation and the pandemic, and they concluded that a mother's salary should be $184,820 per year. And all the moms said? Amen. <laughs> well, I think we can all agree that moms are actually worth a lot more than that because her value is not based on the task she performs. It's based on God's calling for her life. And I cannot imagine a higher calling, a more important calling than that of mother. God created the family with fathers and mothers. It was his idea that the family would be the bedrock of society. And when families flourish Society flourishes as well, but when the family falters, society suffers. Take away the family, there's no amount of government programs that will make up the difference. There are no laws that you can pass to repair the damage. Well, in our scripture this morning, the Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his life, and he knows that. So he writes another letter to his protege, Timothy. This young man, Paul, once referred to him as his son in the faith. When he wrote to the Philippians, he said, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. 
What a compliment coming from the Apostle Paul to say, I have no one like Timothy. And even though Paul had discipled Timothy and he had trained Timothy, he was careful not to take credit for Timothy's faith. Instead, Paul reminded him of two godly women that God used in Timothy's life, his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. Two times in this letter, Paul refers to their faith and to the training that they gave to Timothy. We're going to look at both of those passages this morning. And although our focus is on mothers, I want all of us to see from this three ways that the baton of the faith is meant to be passed from one generation to the next. First of all, we do this by modeling for them a sincere faith by modeling for them a sincere faith. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. There's so much here, but let me focus on verse 5. Paul prays for Timothy. He thanks God for Timothy. He rejoices every time he thinks about Timothy. And why is that? Because he remembers the genuine faith that is in him. And where did he learn that genuine faith? First in his grandmother Lois, then in his mother Eunice, and now Paul says, I see it in you. So you have three generations of faith. Timothy's name first appears in the book of Acts chapter 16, and immediately we are told that his mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was Greek which strongly implies that he was not a Christian. So Timothy had a Jewish Christian mother and a non-Jewish, non-Christian father, which means in a lot of ways they were about uh, as far apart as could possibly be. Now, in a perfect world, Timothy would have had a godly father teaching him the Word of God, modeling for him the Christian life, but Timothy just did not have that blessing. What he had was a godly grandmother and a godly mother who passed their faith down to them. So let me say, especially to you grandmothers and you mothers here today, if you ever doubted the power of the influence that you have on not only your children, but also your grandchildren, you need to heed what Paul is saying to Timothy in this passage. I want you to notice in particular what Paul said about the faith that they passed down. He said it was a genuine faith. It was a sincere faith. Some scholars say that perhaps Paul stayed in their home when he was on his second missionary journey. And if that was the case, he would have seen up close and personal what their faith was like. 
But this word that he uses to describe their faith, their genuine faith, it is in the Greek the word hypocrisy with no slapped onto the front of it. That's literally what it says. Your grandmother had, and your mother had, and now you have a no hypocrisy faith. It's interesting, that word hypocrisy comes straight out of the theater. In those days, when you went to the theater, they had these actors who would wear these giant masks, kind of like when you see a cartoon and the character has a great big head and a little bitty body underneath. It's kind of what they look like. They'd wear these giant masks so that everybody in the audience could tell them apart, including those people seated up there in the cheap seats. But you had these actors, and they were literally called hypocrites. You went to the theater to go see the hypocrites. Little children were asked, what do you want to do when, they, when you grow up? I want to be a hypocrite. Well, Jesus came along, and Jesus started preaching, and he took that word hypocrite, and he gave it a whole new meaning. He said, you don't have to be an actor on a stage to be a hypocrite. Anybody can pretend to be one thing on the outside while being something else on the inside. Anybody can put on a show. It kind of reminds me of my college days. Some of you may know that uh, at Samford University, for a short while, during basketball season, I was the mascot. <laughs> I was Spike the Bulldog. And I put on that costume and had that great big giant bulldog head weighed down on my shoulders. And I had a great time walking amongst the people, greeting the people, dancing around, acting crazy, entertaining everybody. But you know what I love most about being the mascot? I could see them. They couldn't see me. I knew who they were, but they couldn't see who I was. You know, that's fine if you're a mascot at a college basketball game. That is not fine when it comes to how you live your life. Because it turns out, God can see behind the mask. And you know who else can see behind that mask? Your children. When Paul says that their faith was genuine, it was without hypocrisy, that means there was a what-you-see-is-what-you-get kind of quality to their faith. They didn't just put on a show for others. Furthermore, Paul said this faith dwelt in them, and now it dwells in you. In other words, it was a constant. It was always there. They didn't live one way on Sunday and another way Monday through Saturday. Now listen, moms, I realize there are so many things that perhaps you wish you could do, but you cannot do. And I'm sure sometimes you feel inadequate, sometimes you get discouraged, but every mother and every grandmother can do this. You can model a genuine, no hypocrisy kind of faith. And so I ask you, is it apparent to your children 
that you love God? Do you live what you believe? Are you the same person at home as you are outside the home? Is there consistency between what they see in your life and what they read in the Word of God? I believe that Paul Tripp was right when he said that parents are God's ambassadors to their children. Think about that. Parents are God's ambassadors to their children because a child's first impression of God normally comes from their parents. And if the mom is the primary caregiver, almost always that first impression comes from her. And listen, I'm not asking if you're perfect, but can they see that sincere, genuine faith in you? Timothy had this kind of faith because he saw it in his grandmother and then he saw it in his mother. We pass that baton of the faith to the next generation by modeling for them a sincere faith, but then also by teaching them a saving faith. By teaching them a saving faith. When we come to chapter 3, Paul is talking to Timothy about persecution. He warns him that there will be persecution. He said, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But then the question becomes, how will Peter, or, or how will Timothy endure it? And so Paul answers that question in verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Paul says, Timothy, this is going to be hard. Timothy, you're going to suffer. Timothy, you are going to experience persecution, but here is how you'll prevail. Here is how you will get through it by continuing in the things that you have learned and been assured of. In other words, they not only taught these things, but they reinforced these things to him again and again. Paul says, you must remember these things and remember from whom you learned these things. In other words, remember the living examples of the people who taught you these things. Now, is Paul referring to himself? Is Paul saying, remember that you learned these things from me? No, because look at verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul says, you didn't learn these things from me. You learned these things from childhood. And who taught Timothy when he was a child? His grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. That's the teaching that Paul is referring to. And some translations will even say in verse 15, from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. And that Greek word is the word brephos. Now, if that word brephos sounds familiar, well, it should, because I talked about it a good bit back in January on Sanctity of Life Sunday. Because it turns out that Greek word brephos is the same word that Elizabeth used to describe the child that was still in her womb. That word brephos 
is the same word that the angel used when he announced Jesus' birth to the shepherds and said, you will find a brephos, you will find a baby lying in a manger. It's the same word that Luke used when he described how Jesus blessed the children and he said, let the brephos, let the little children come to me. You see, the Bible uses the same word to describe the child in the mother's womb as it does to describe the child out of the mother's womb. God uses the same word in Scripture because God sees the same thing. And we should as well. But Paul said, Timothy, they started to teach you the Scriptures while you were still a brephos. In other words, you were very, very young. About a week ago, I was visiting in the home of a family that just moved to Homestead, and they have a beautiful two-month-old baby boy, and I told them what I tell every couple. I said to them, don't wait until you think he's old enough to understand in order to start teaching him the Word of God. Go ahead and start teaching him before he can understand so that the very first memories he will have will be of God and his word. That's what Lois and Eunice did. And what was it? They were teaching him when he was a brephos. Paul said, the holy scriptures. In this case, holy scriptures, referring to the Hebrew Bible, referring to the Old Testament. May I just remind you at this point how difficult it was in those days for someone to even get their hands on a copy of the word of God. Do you realize in the first century, that most of the time, an entire church might own one copy of the Scriptures, and all of the members had to share it with one another, which means you had to be even more dedicated, you had to be even more intentional, and yet as hard as it was, Lois and Eunice made that decision that they were going to teach the Scriptures to Timothy at the earliest age. And notice what Paul says about the scriptures they taught him, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Let me talk about the first half of that statement for a moment. The scriptures, Paul said, are able to make you wise for salvation. Now, what does that mean? It does not mean that you have to become wise in order to get saved, or else a lot of us would be in a whole lot of trouble. No, that means that there is wisdom in the gospel. And when the gospel is proclaimed, it reveals to us what we need to know in order to be saved. The gospel is wise because it tells us who we really are, that we are loved by God and created in God's image. The gospel is wise because it tells us what went wrong, that we are sinners, we fall short of God's glory, we have rebelled against a holy God. The gospel is wise because it tells us what we need. We need a Savior, someone who would live a perfect life in our place, someone who would take upon himself the punishment we deserve. The gospel is wise because it tells us what is the solution that Jesus came from heaven to earth, that he lived a life without sin, that he died on the cross in your place and mine, and on the third day he rose again. 
This is the wisdom of the gospel. And notice the second half of that statement. It is able to make you wise unto salvation, and this salvation comes how? By keeping the law? No. Through what? Faith. Through faith in anyone? Through faith in anything? Through faith in Christ Jesus. So you add it together in verse 15. What did Lois and Eunice teach Timothy? They taught him the gospel from the Scriptures. That's what they taught him. The gospel from the Scriptures. They showed him how all the Scriptures point to Christ. They showed him how to be saved. And listen, he learned this not in a church building, not in a Sunday school class. He learned this at the feet of a godly grandmother and a godly mother. This is the most important lesson that you'll ever teach your children. You can teach them any number of things, but if you miss this, you miss everything. I've been told by some of you here that there's only one thing in life that is greater than leading your children to the Lord. That is seeing your children lead your grandchildren to the Lord. I'm not there yet, but I don't mind saying that's what I'm praying for. But ladies and gentlemen, you can't pass on a faith that you don't possess. You can't teach what you don't know. You must believe the gospel. You must place your faith in Christ. You have to have that saving faith, and then you can teach your children and your grandchildren what saving faith is. You can teach them the scriptures that will make them wise unto salvation. We pass along the baton of the faith by modeling a sincere faith, by teaching them a saving faith, and finally by training them to have a growing faith. By training them to have a growing faith. Verse 16 is a very popular verse. It's a verse we quote often. Very rarely do we remember the context. The context is Paul describing to Timothy the scriptures which he learned from his grandmother and from his mother. And with that in mind, Paul says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Paul says, yes, Timothy, the scriptures you learned from Lois and Eunice, they made you wise in the salvation, but guess what? That's just the beginning. You are just getting started. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture applying to eternal life. All scripture applies to your daily life as well. And he said, it's all inspired. And that word inspired, if you do not know, simply means God breathed. This is a God-breathed book. That means that when the biblical writers wrote, God spoke through them, and yes, he used their personalities, he used their experiences, but he spoke through them in such a way so that the very words that they wrote could be called the very word of God. That can't be said about any other book. There are 32 million books in the Library of Congress. All but one of them are the words of man. But this is the word of God. 
It's the Word of God when it's in your hand. It's the Word of God when you leave it on the shelf. It's the Word of God when you believe it. It's the Word of God when you don't. It's the Word of God when you follow it. And it's the Word of God when you go astray. There are many reasons why we should believe that this book is the Word of God. And by the way, parents, I believe that you should be able to answer that question if your children ask you, why do you believe out of all the books in the world that this is the Word of God? That's a question you need to answer. In this particular passage, Paul cites some of the practical advantages of reading this book. He doesn't get into the manuscript evidence or the prophetic evidence. No, he talks about some of the benefits that we receive from it. He said, it is profitable. That means it's useful. It's relevant. It works in real life. There's never a time where you're not better off by doing what it says. What is it profitable for? For doctrine. That means divine teaching. It tells you who God is, what God is like, how you can know him, how, can, how you can experience him personally in your life. It is profitable for reproof. That word refers to correcting someone when their behavior is wrong or their beliefs are wrong. It is profitable for correction. That word correction means to put something in its proper place. This word was used to describe lifting up someone who had fallen. When you have fallen, this book tells you how to get back up. When you've gone astray, it tells you how to come home. And it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. This book will instruct you and teach you what righteousness looks like on a practical level. And it's because the Word of God is profitable for all of these things that Paul could say in verse 17 that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means every area of your life, everything that will lead to a life of meaning and purpose and happiness and joy. This means everything that is of eternal significance, everything you need to know about money, about sex, about power, about relationships, about greed, everything you need to know about heaven or hell or salvation or judgment, it's right here in this book. How to succeed at home, how to succeed at work, how to succeed in your finances, all of this and so much more. Listen, mothers, this is why it is so important for you to spend time in the Word of God and for you to get very acquainted with this book so that you can teach God's Word to your children. Because if you haven't noticed, this world around us is doing everything it can to fill their hearts and minds with unbelief. It seems like these days, godly parents are swimming against the current Every current social media, music, movies, academia, you name it, all of these working together, pulling them in an opposite direction, leading them down a path of destruction, teaching them the exact opposite of what the Word of God says. And that's why you've got to be intentional. That's why you've got to be proactive. That's why dropping them off at church one hour a week just ain't going to cut it. 
Parents, it's got to come from you. And listen, moms, if you're blessed to have a godly father in your home leading the way, praise God. But if you're like Eunice and he's just not there or he's a non-believer and your children aren't going to get any kind of spiritual instruction from him, then you got to do what Eunice did. you got to take up the mantle and you've got to do it yourself because you will never know on this side of eternity the difference it will make. In the early part of the 19th century, there was a slave in Maryland by the name of Harriet Bailey. And in the year 1818, Harriet Bailey gave birth to a baby boy, and of course, she loved him with all of her heart. But while he was still a baby, her master took him and sold him and put him in another plantation 12 miles away. Now, 12 miles may not seem like much to you, but when you're a slave in a plantation in the 19th century, that's like a world away. And it devastated her. It broke her heart. But Harriet Bailey made up her mind and she determined that she was going to do whatever she could to get to that child and teach him, train him. So you know what she did? She made it her habit. She would go out and work all day long as a slave in the tobacco fields. And when the day was over, and from head to toe, her flesh cried out, pleading for rest. Under the cover of darkness, she would begin to walk those 12 miles to that other plantation, knowing the whipping she would get if she were to be caught. She'd walk 12 miles to that other plantation, and there she was able to see her boy and hold him and love him and pray for him and teach him. And after doing all that, he'd go back to sleep, and then she had to walk 12 miles back getting back to her plantation before sunrise so she could go back to the fields and start it all over again. Can you imagine that? She never saw him during the day. She only saw him at night. Well, it turns out that little boy that she went to see, his name was Frederick. Frederick Douglass the great abolitionist, if you're not familiar with him, one of the greatest, one of the most powerful writers and speakers in the 19th century. Thousands of people would come to hear him. He was one of the men that God used the most in order to rid this nation of slavery. All because of a mother who would work all day and then walk 24 miles in the night just so she could be a part of his life. 
I bet she wondered whether or not it was worth it. I bet she wondered whether or not she was making a difference. But we can look back now and we know that she was. Mothers, you may wonder if it's worth it. You may wonder whether or not you are making a difference. And so I say to you today, keep believing. Keep praying. Keep teaching them the word of God. Keep waiting on the Lord. Keep living the Christian life out before them. And leave the results to God. I can't tell you that your children will turn out perfect. I can't tell you that they will not stray or become a prodigal. But I can tell you that God will see, God will know, and God will reward every single sacrifice you make. And I can tell you that, yes, it will be worth it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that all of these years later, we still learn from the example of this godly grandmother and this godly mother, Lois and Eunice. We thank you for them and how they taught Timothy the holy scriptures, which made him wise unto salvation, which made him one of the great heroes of the New Testament. Father, I pray that we would follow in their footsteps. I pray that we also would teach our children the holy scriptures, that we would teach them the gospel from the scriptures, that we would teach them salvation, not by works, but through faith in Christ. And then that's just the beginning, that we would teach them how relevant the Word of God is, how it speaks to every area of our lives, the men and women that you want us to become, how to experience the blessings you desire to pour out upon us. And so, Father, help those parents that are here, those fathers and mothers, to take and apply everything that we have heard. Father, I pray for those who have yet to place their faith in Christ. They have yet to receive salvation through faith in Him. And perhaps they're, they're still running. Perhaps they still want to live for this world. Perhaps they're still enjoying the temporary benefits of sin. Perhaps they're just too proud to surrender or to admit that they actually need a Savior. But God, whatever the wall is that a man or woman might build up, I pray this morning you would break through that. That they would see how much they do need you. Believe that Jesus is the one who came from heaven to earth and lived a perfect life and died for our sins and rose again. That this would be that day that they place their faith and their hope and their trust in him. So, Father, would you speak to hearts? Would you show all of us what you want us to do, how you want us to apply all of this to our lives today? We'll give you the thanks. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.